father is a deeply weird individual. But he has a lot more going on under his head than most people, that's for sure. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, I'm Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. This week we are discussing the 20th episode of Twin Peaks, The Black Widow. Classic name. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what the episode's about. Uh, this episode was directed by Caleb Deschanel. It was written by Harley Payton and Robert Engels, who it seems are basically, at this point, the sort of de facto showrunners of Twin Peaks. I mean, I don't know if you would agree with that or not, but that, that's the feeling that I get based on the writing staff of every episode yeah, at this point. Yeah, for sure. They're, they're definitely the nucleus, the sort of creative nucleus of late era, mid-late era Twin Peaks. And I guess, okay, before we get too super into this episode, this episode feels to me like the most extreme version of what a team up of these guys is Twin Peaks yes. is. Like this actually feels like a spin-off of Twin Peaks. Uh, yes, I completely This feels agree. like the this feels like yes. the first episode of like the new Twin Peaks yes. basically. This I thought was the maybe the single tonally weirdest episode of Twin Peaks to date. It felt like it felt structured like a TV show like Community or something. Like it felt like it was not Yes, absolutely. Including the fact that a lot of it almost seemed played for parody. Yeah, it was. There, there were scenes that that almost in their entirety felt as though they were self-knowingly tongue-in-cheek. Like the well, it's like it's just Twin Peaks as absurdist comedy entirely, where people right. are these weird one-dimensional things that exist to be weird, like foils against their their insane situation. And it would just cut to scene after scene after scene of just a person is there. <clears throat> A completely inexplicable thing happens. They try to deal with it, and then we just move on to the next scene. Mm-hmm. It's weird. Yep. Weird show. Or no, or nothing happened. Like the, <laughs> yeah, the or enti- nothing. The, the whole thing with the, I guess, the Black Widow, the the was Dougie's widow or Dwayne's widow, whoever. Old one of the guy, old guys. One of the old with, guys. There's the scene where she, where she is just completely enrapturing, um, I guess, Cooper and Truman and Hawk and uh, – uh, What's his name? Dr. Hayward. Dr. Hayward. And like, and there's like this lute and guitar music playing and they're just, they're like the cartoon sort of like wolf in the, in Looney Tunes. That's like floating, whose nose is like floating along a pie smell or something. Right. Like that, that was the level of, of how parodic and ridiculous it is. Yeah. That was treated. It's just random completely absurd things bouncing off of each other for forever. And it's so weird to be watching this and have it be the same characters and the same general, like yeah. cinematic aesthetic of like Leland Palmer killing Maddie Ferguson, like five weeks prior. Right. Yep. Yeah. And Sarah also made the sort of bummer of an observation that this episode kind of at, at this point, basically all of the women characters of twin peaks have become worthless. Yeah, that, it's, Dana it's, actually mentioned that as well. They just like the 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 portrayal of women and sort of the way that just femininity at all, just female characters and any archetypes, all of it is just kind of weird and bad at this yeah. point in this show. Either have become very one dimensional or kind of just terrible people or sidelined to the point of utter irrelevance. Um, yeah, like Audrey had a scene. It was just like I've got some information for you, Bobby goodbye like that's right 
And like the entire That's Audrey Horn. Yeah. The entire also even someone like Lucy, who's always been kind of a goofball, the entire Andy Yep like Dick thing, Andy Dick, huh? Is uh ostensibly <laughs> about Lucy, except that she is at this point a nothing character who only exists. Her job is to be scandalized to kind of like by stomp it. around yeah. and be ignored, basically. You have Josie, who at this point is just like disgracefully right. shat upon, and then Catherine, who is just a monster. Um it's the Yeah, only, then everyone else gets tiny cursory appearances. Yeah, the only women characters who come off at all well this episode are Norma, who is only has a very tiny scene. She which and she Ed, and Ed like a, have, a grasp of one of their classic scenes. As basically. usual, they're like the only adult seeming people yeah. in this entire show, where they sort of briefly reflect on just the fleeting nature of adulthood and life, and like that in a way that you know is not gonna blow anyone's mind but it was it was nice and grounded and yeah believable. it was fine except that it rang more hollow than some of their incredibly potent sure. versions of that scene yes, in definitely. like and well, then you know and then um uh denise like uh david duchovny character like is actually a professional and doing her job right but again and, like, I, I think that's david duchovny playing above the writing still yeah i i totally agree with you um and so <laughs> Although, it's, man, oh, we'll get to it, I guess. Well, but yeah, they, we'll have, get to they it. have lady agents or whatever is the best. Yeah, that was bizarre. I like, love that so much. I hate really? it. I it's, hate it. I hate it. I think sometimes Twin Peaks forgets that it isn't actually set during the 50s. I know. Like, why would a why would a, a young woman in 1990 so be like, they have female agents in the FBI? Huh? Like what? That whole scene? What's happening? Yeah. Oh man. Anyway, I guess we'll 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 wrap around to that because I guess we're gonna go scene by scene through this weird ass episode. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, we didn't even read the synopsis. Sorry, I just couldn't resist oh, yeah. just talking about like what the heck. <laughs> this, I mean, not yes. that the synopsis holds. Yeah. Well, I don't even. I just a had to meaningful pick, synopsis. I just had this. to pick some random things for synopsis. <laughs> so the one eyed Jacks investigation <laughs> progresses on multiple fronts. Uh, Nadine is admitted to the wrestling team. Uh, Major Briggs returns. And pretty much everyone else in Twin Peaks keeps just chugging has, along with their increasingly do, weird lives. Everyone just keeps, you know, running into each other awkwardly or falling through doors or doing whatever <laughs> people do in Twin Peaks. Yeah. You know, Twin Peaks, that classic show that captured the hearts and minds of America. Hawk <laughs> whistles at a woman or whatever and falls through a door. Yeah. Everyone whistles at a woman and Lucy stomps <laughs> around. Classic. <laughs> Okay, admittedly, those two things could have happened in any episode of Twin Peaks, but they're usually couched in a lot more yeah. than what is happening this week. Yep. So, uh, all right. So, the, the the first, I guess, thread in this episode is uh, Bobby Briggs and Ben Horn. Uh, I guess I don't know what there is to say really about this, <laughs> although I like that at this point, Bobby is sort of dressed, to, dressed in this sort of sharp business attire. And Ben Horn is just increasingly unraveling. Ben Horn is basically like uh, he's like Howard Husing, right? He totally is Howard Husing, sitting yes. in that room, just basically wearing collecting wearing things a in Civil jars. War era outfit and assembling the body of Battle of was it Gettysburg that he yeah. was like. But also, he's arranged all his uh, furniture symmetrically in the middle of the room. That's right? true. He's created, he created this like symbolic skyscraper that he's right. using to illustrate who's at the top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. Got another Audrey secret door. Yep. Yeah. Classic moment. Oh, I guess I guess that this the the Bob, the, the Bobby and Ben Horn stuff does follow th- like there is a connect uh, of the through line into Cooper's story with the one eye jacks thing and the real estate. Like, yes, all that stuff does kind of connect. Like, yeah. a third of the threads of this episode connect. Yeah. For purposes, well, that- and the bride runs past Bobby screaming weirdly. That actually, 
okay, th- this is a tiny little thing, and I don't know if there's anything to it, but the the scene where um the just whatever her name was, the widow, I can't remember what her name was because that whole entire plot thread is yeah I, I ridiculous to me. But she runs by screaming, and Bobby is sort of taken aback. And it's one continuous shot, and then when Bobby tries to leave, his bag he, is he knocks on, everything. Yeah, on yeah, the yeah. on the doorknob, and he like drops it and gets like sort of trips. I wonder if that was intentional or not, because that whole thing was one shot. Yeah, I don't and know. I wouldn't be surprised if if the actor actually just kind of tripped. But that they up. kept that take, and they that kept go- it, yeah. that goes with this episode of Twin Peaks just being a weird, 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 weird high concept <laughs> laugh trackless sitcom. Yeah, like it's just like this weird. Crazy multi-thread soap opera as high concept absurdist sitcom that is not – that doesn't actually work. Okay. So you know what? Actually, I'm going to skip straight to Nadine now because I want okay. to talk about what you just said in that context. Okay. So this – the Nadine thread in this episode is that she uh, – okay. Well, first of all, this opens with an incredibly strange moment that is with very television-like. Yeah, but not very Twin Peaks-like where the coach is telling this sort of civil rights – story but doesn't seem to know any of the details and is just kind of confused right and it's it's a really odd moment that again seems like to your point seems like it could come from a show like community or something but is very strange in the context of twin peaks um also in terms of uh this episode being unusual for twin peaks in a different way there is more diversity in that one shot than there is in like the entire rest of the entire yeah. series of Twin Peaks combined in terms of just the diversity of the students on display on the wrestling team. It it made me remember that, oh, right, this is a show that is 100% solely and only about white people, I guess, and Hawk, kind of. Right. Like, and Hawk and, jo- and Josie as and incredible Josie, novelty as, characters. Right, yes. As like depressing novelty characters. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um, anyway, that's that's – kind of a stray observation but um the the reason i wanted to talk about this in the context of what you were saying about this sort of failed laugh track with sitcom is that the entire scene the entire sequence of nadine basically kicking the shit out of mike there was no music not even the weird kind of shuffle jazz drums thing right there was basically no soundscape at all except for the foley of their bodies like the wrestling squeaking yeah the yeah. wrestling squeaking and their bodies just hitting the floor as she just utterly demolishes him and it was incredibly weird it really it really felt like one of those videos where somebody takes a sitcom and then extracts out yeah. all of the laugh track and you're just left with uncomfortable silences and pauses yeah this whole this whole show this whole episode just it, it totally just feels like someone else's high concept experiment for what television mm-hmm. could be but in a in a way that is like i was kind of transfixed by parts of it like i actually like it just it seems like this is just another dimensions version of a strange show that a bunch of people watched but it was not what this show is yeah right. i would never watch whatever this show is i if don't think if there were think. 30 episodes of what yeah, this is i don't i don't think that i would but uh, like ah uh, i couldn't stop thinking about what the hell i was looking at in this episode because it is also you know a weirdly absurdist occasionally surreal take on a, on the soap opera format yeah but small town n- life but but it's so weird. I mean, there's just there's no there's sort of no coherent uh, vision. Yeah, of it. it made the occasional like classic Twin Peaks aesthetic things feel so fucking weird. Like when Cooper flips the coin and it lands right. on the house, or at the end when they're interrogating uh, Ernie Niles. Yeah, and 
there's a huge thunderstorm and it gets all like kind of noiry for a second, but like the way that that Ernie Niles is acting mm-hmm. is outrageous and has nothing to do with either Cooper or uh, right. Truman's desire for information, but not in a way that played well. It just felt fucking weird it just felt again like two things yeah mashing against each other over and over again well the thunder and lightning was also so intense i don't remember anything quite like that on the show to the point that that no one of the um, the characters when that crazy parlor room scene in the in the roadhouse is like that is it's like the exact effect really was it was it on top of characters speaking in the same way i thought it was oh maybe because it was cooper was being all theatrical yeah but in in this scene it was just it became so intense that it was just stomping all over the characters it was a very odd choice in fact it, it happens in another um it happens in another scene in this episode, and I and I, I can't actually remember this. It was all meant to tie to be sort of leading towards Major Briggs. Oh, it was during the James. It was during the James uh, whole. Oh right, yeah. It gets where all, it gets Malcolm all. comes over to threaten killing uh, her husband, and then there's like even more dramatic thunder, yeah. thunder and lightning going on there. Ah, I feel bad for jumping all over the place on this episode, but it's just it's it was it. I don't know. The response that I had when watching this episode was just kind of bafflement and mm-hmm. trying to grab at any mm-hmm. coherency that was going on because it just felt like someone put a different TV show on. Yeah, it's very strange and, how, how sudden it was, too. I I completely expected – I, I was assuming this was just going to be directed by someone else and then be one of those cases where it's like, oh, I really wanted yeah, to try – but this is like a- the core not Frost and Lynch exactly, team. These yeah. three guys. Yep. It's – Inclu- I know, like, I including surprised. Caleb Dishonel, who's directed yeah, a bunch of yep, stuff. It's yep. it feels like it is just someone must have had an idea. There's there's no way this was just another shoot. I like, feel like this could it could also just be that this is what these three guys like about Twin Peaks, and they kind of just got off on all these weird side that's aspects. Because this is all the stuff I imagine that they would have control over as the incidental writers and the directors yeah, who are mm-hmm. not Frost and Lynch is just the weird character moments and the little absurd details that they can sneak in. And now they can just do that as the whole show. It's also something that this was a thing I was thinking about when I was watching it, especially when I was, especially when I realized it was this, this crew, this classic crew is that I, I think a thing that happens when you work on a periodic, when you work on a, a regularly recurring, uh, work, you know, is, um, you start to just get so comfortable with it that you sort of like it falls in on itself almost yeah, like yeah. its own its own internal vocabulary starts becoming the food that it feeds on exactly and, yeah. yes and the the reason that this that it struck me is because so we do another podcast called Idle Thumbs which is um uh, which is about video games and we've been doing it uh you know I guess sort of off and on for about six years now and I remember in like the second or third year of doing Idle Thumbs uh. Maybe like I would say like the late second year of doing it, um, I, I've always edited the show. I've, I've edited almost every episode of the show, mm-hmm. and I remember getting so it was became such a routine. It became such a regular thing that I did every week was edit together this kind of hour hour and a half long show uh, with pretty much the same people talking on it every week, and it's developed its own kind of in jokes and conventions, and I. I would just start doing weird things with it because 
no, it usually wasn't even a conscious choice, really. I would just have a dumb idea, right? And, it, and I would just say, ah, you sort of forget, you forgot what the podcast was, and instead it just became this weird bundle of raw material exactly. to work with in and of itself, right? Yeah, Pre- precisely. And I was thinking about that when I was considering why this episode <laughs> turned out the way it did, and I wonder if there was part of that going on where these guys are just so used to these component parts of these characters and this setting and these plot threads that just it's your raw material and you're so accustomed to working with it you don't even think twice about actually um i just went and looked in the forum thread because um i remembered that lost in the movies our most prolific and really informed poster wrote some stuff about it but um he specifically says um Peyton later admitted that they fell too much in love with the absurdist comedy of the show. And you okay. can tell like this. So I think yeah. you're right. I think this is actually Engels and Peyton just kind of just twisting in on themselves to the point that they kind of lose the forest for the trees. Yep. Twin peaks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. What a, what a strange, strange thing. I mean, I, we should go through the, the plot threads, but yeah, yeah to yeah. discuss them, but it's so tough because they feel they're so they feel like isolated. 90 degrees off yeah. from everything else in the show yeah. like it does feel yeah. like if like weirdly like just all this stuff is almost invisible because it's going at such a different angle to the rest mm-hmm. of the show mm-hmm. well do you want to talk about cooper yeah i guess we should talk about cooper because it's the most it's what is ostensibly the most substantial twin peaks stuff in the episode but I it's guess. also not I, it's yeah, not it i mean like it yeah. it poses as twin peaks content right so he's so yeah, that's definitely – I completely agree with what you just said. So he's he is looking into buying some real estate in Twin Peaks and he's dealing with this real estate agent who is a new character who I think is an incredibly poorly defined character. I, Every, I was, there's, It felt like this episode had a lot of new characters or – like everyone – okay. I, oh, sorry, we're going specific. Let's not let's stop talking about general stuff. But okay. I, sorry, I keep ruining it by no, – That's by, okay. I, I just found this character to be totally baffling and that she's a real estate agent and she's like a plot device, right? Yeah. She was completely a plot device. Oh, I device. didn't mean to leave that listing in there. Anyway, this yeah. tells you nothing about my personality. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, it's, it's haunted. It's worse than it sounds. Dead dog farms. <laughs> so they go there and then she just, and she's literally there to, the to, to just say the, hat. the pure of she's, heart yeah, or whatever. She's just a, a, a lore, a lore factory dispensary. Just, <laughs> Of all the people in the She's world. She's a classic lore barfer. That's a best, TV trope archetype, I think. The best and the worst are drawn to dead dog. Only the purest of heart can feel its pain. The rest of us just struggle. None of that means anything. Absolutely none of that means anything at all. It's just sort but of... maybe she's heard of the White Lodge. White Lodge nonsense. That uh, the most... The least appropriate... Char- for the least appropriate character to be spouting off. It's ridiculous. That's it's- offensive, Chris. How do you know she's not deep into Lodge lore? <laughs> I mean, it's just like what if Cooper like, "Have you heard of the White Lodge?" He's like, "Yes, I have." <laughs> uh, I'm showing someone the White Lodge at 4:30 p.m., but I can. I did leave that six. one out, but I'll see if I can squeeze <laughs> you in for a trip to the White Lodge. Um, Your coin did land on Dead Dog Farm. There's also I, I just want to or in, ranch or whatever, right? Lodge, yeah. Dead Dog Lodge <laughs> twist. In terms of uh, further. Examples. Uh, this was early in the. Well, maybe it wasn't early in the episode. I can't remember where this fell. But, um, but in terms of of this episode being full of moments that have no justification for existing, other than they just they needed to exist at at this particular moment. Uh, he 
they go in there and Cooper starts, uh, you know, sort of forensically surveying the place because no one was supposed to have been in there recently, but someone actually there's cigarette smoke has and there's been, three tire right. tracks. Yeah. yeah. He dips his finger into the sink, tastes it and immediately identifies it as baby laxative. Yeah. Is that a thing that, that an FBI agent would be able to identify by taste? It's a classic cocaine cutting device. I, I mean, don't know. It's just that, that was just such it. Not that it really matters necessarily, but it was just one more example of, of just, unconvincing kind of detail for its own sake. Yeah. Very strange. Also, there's cocaine there. He tastes the second powder that Cooper tastes in the room. Cooper also catches Diane out up about the Wyndham Earl stuff, which I feel like has still yet to demonstrate. They've been speaking. Wyndham Earl's name has been mentioned in the, in the most Pretending to be ominous but actually impotent way since right. the first episode of second season. Mm-hmm. Because someone – is it Albert? Someone's just like, Windermere escaped. That was like 10 episodes ago. Yeah, it was so long ago. <clears throat> also, what? Diane doesn't work for the FBI, I guess, is now revealed by Cooper reporting to Diane into, a, into his tape recorder when he's no longer an active agent of the, of the Bureau. Or it, he's just still sending her tapes. I think he's still just collecting the material. Is he actually <clears throat> sending them or is he just documenting the stuff? I, I guess I, for maybe later. that's true. Yeah, I I've been assuming he's mailing the tapes back, but I don't really yeah. know. I'm not sure. Uh, and then Audrey comes in to give him all that surveillance stuff and just be there. Yep. Yeah. Man, I liked the complete cheesiness of that scene. Whatever. You're entitled to not like which, it. Which, the, which, the, which, the, the they have lady agents scene. Yeah. I like, I like, I like that she is totally in awe of Denise. I like that part of it. Yeah. I also thought it's so cheesy and bad and in the worst way, but I still like it a lot that she just kisses Cooper while leaving as if like to try and make Denise jealous, I guess. Like it's a, it's a meaningless, it's it's, it's horrible, but that I I actually bought because I felt like I I, I, felt like like the cheesiest high school move. Yeah. That I bought in the sense that I, I, I given who Audrey is, she was just kind of generally amped up by that point. Like she surprises Cooper. She gives him all this stuff that he clearly, recognizes as being helpful right. and then and did an it. adult she's woman like, walks in yeah, the room and, and, and cooper's she, like right which first she's shocked by and then she's like pleased about for other reasons and then so like by this point she's like been so overstimulated that right. like she's just completely impulsive uh, as she leaves and yeah. I, I actually buy that i that that unlike a lot of moments in this episode i feel like that is earned yes by the time she she leaves the room yeah 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 so, so that's fine. And as usual, since it never happens anymore, I really like any moment between Cooper and Audrey that exists because that was a thing that I really liked early in the show. Yeah. And man, is it deleted at this point. Yeah, yep, yep. The, um, the thing that I wish that we had remembered to include in the synopsis, which is kind of the fulcrum of this episode, is Dick Tremaine changes attire. <laughs> that's true. Okay, so let's talk about that next because that – scene okay so that- man that leads to the to the scene of the little insert shot of little of nikki as the devil up as satan yeah <laughs> amazing that's like that again is like it feels like it would be a thing in some in like community it feels like it'd be in some tv show that is entirely just this weird right. meta or commentary or on the structure of tv yeah, yeah. that feel it feels like a like a a weird pre-seinfeldian 
maneuver, right? Because yeah. like that show came several years later and sort of like it's like Family Guy having a whip, like or it's like it's like Twin Peaks having a Family Guy whip pan joke. Yeah, it's so weird. It is really weird. <clears throat> Man, I, now I'm actually just thinking about all this stuff in the context of Seinfeld of just weird moments where characters kind of have an identity but are also totally malleable yep. for what they need to be for the purpose of sort of an outrageous scene. Uh, what if and someone just like what this, if someone laugh tracked this episode of Twin Peaks? Oh man, that would be a it would good, be terrible. It'd be the worst. It would basically YouTube be the project. worst episode of Seinfeld. That's <laughs> true. I would I would be intrigued to see someone attempt that though. It would be atrocious. Yeah. Oh well, we know that. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. One thing I'll say though about this scene, in the context of everything we've been talking about so far, is that given the strange, just scattershot tone of this episode. Dick Tremaine maybe is the one character who actually lives in this sh- world. Yes. Like if if this if this episode were actually the template for an alternate reality version of Twin Peaks, Dick Tremaine would be a much more important character than he is in the real show that is Twin Peaks because his character in its core identity is in fact of this universe. Yes. Like he he is a weird uh kind of meta character like parody of television being and i really and i have to admit i it cracked me up so this is introduced by uh andy and dick meeting with the caseworker and Mm -hmm. lucy i guess was there as well and being informed that this child like has suffered you know unfortunate circumstances and persistent random misfortune um but the the moment where it cuts to dick tremaine with the sort of like knee up splayed out sort of having a like a car repair picnic for himself with the music playing this with this like sort of charming right. non battlementy music uh going on in the background i totally cracked up like that was yeah a no. hilarious moment that is how dick tremaine would change a tire yes exactly with his little thermos and and everything uh and then nikki just continuing well to it's do- good cuz it actually it makes it makes Dick Tremaine not an act. It's like this is actually who this guy is in a way that I that I think is good because it feels like even when he when he's doing something mundane and practical, right? Because that just means that that's actually just who that guy is, and it's not. It makes it makes it's his, not his like how to pick up a woman. He's not, yeah, it's not. It makes it not an affect. It just mm-hmm. makes it like wow, you are weird. Yep. You're just this guy, I guess, and I guess I, yep. like it makes you take Dick Tremaine at face value and actually respect him a tiny bit more because then oh, oh, he also suffers genuine mishap that is not uh like payback for him being an ass. Right. It's actually just like oh, life is actually fucking with Dick Tremaine. Like he's actually like weirdly human and sympathetic despite being the most aesthetically insane character right. yep. in the show. Mm-hmm. Weird. Really yep. weird. I know. Also, the way that that moment played when little Nikki was kind of looking uncomfortable and weird and then the car fell over, but then he was immediately scared that Dick right. was going to die. Right. I didn't understand what that was, but it actually felt genuinely I, unsettling. Yeah, I actually liked that a lot <laughs> because I, it was sort of more emotionally complex than I think most pretty much anything well not anything but like then most of this episode was yeah in the sense that uh dick and andy have been seated with this notion that this like trouble just follows this kid around this kid also has well as like very convincingly earned a reputation for himself through his own actions as like a troublemaker right. kind of asshole and then a terrible thing happens with the kid in proximity so of course dick assumes that the kid like 
Remember, the kid was totally minding his own business. Yeah, the kid was totally minding his own business. But or like, he was using the power of his mind to knock the car okay. over. Uh, and the thing that I like about it is that Dick immediately like comforts the kid who's distraught about this, but then also in his head is like, oh my God, this kid's trying to murder me. Right. Uh, but he's still trying to act sort of like a surrogate dad and be yeah. like understanding. I don't know. That whole thing, even though I think the child is not a good child actor at all, is no. uh, not convincing in as an actor but I, I i liked the construction of that whole sequence yeah more than more than i would i guess i was sort of surprised yeah and i guess I the that. next thing and only other notable thing in this arc is dick confiding in andy that right. nikki the little nikki might be the devil than andy right. having that stupid <laughs> inset little, image of just yeah. <laughs> yeah. like that's so strange. What a weird, what a weird thing. Yep. I also like that Andy and Twin Dick. Peaks is a weird show, Chris, where weird things happen. <laughs> that means a very different thing than I thought it used to. Yeah. Um. So there's the two there's the two brothers continuation, which I still don't understand what the point of any of this was. If one of them's dead now, anyway. Like I, I don't really think I ever got anything out of their it, whole. It it like Dick Tremaine feels like now when we get to this episode, like it was just tendrils of this stuff reaching backwards into the, into the yeah. show. I feel like we've reached peak two brothers, peak Dick Tremaine peak, <laughs> like even right. like, yeah, oh, man, uh, Shelly, Bobby and Leo, like the play, all of those things have turned is just sort of like, but yeah, there's no, I don't feel like there's a point. To any of it? Yeah, like the climax of all that stuff in this episode was a gag. It was like... Oh, man. Okay, but Doc Hayward's fucking shining moment in the entire run of Twin Peaks is in this story arc. Uh, okay, in this what? episode. Man, did you not notice that? Dana pointed it out to me, and then I had, we I, we rewound the scene and watched it a second time. When when the old man who lives is yeah. in the sheriff's office... So I think, that's Dwayne. Yeah. Um... And they're like, uh, it was just a heart attack. It was just a heart attack. And that, and Dwayne is just like, no, it was sex. Like he's losing his right. mind. And the actor who plays Doc Hayward is actually cracking up in the background, but <laughs> playing it as if Doc Hayward is cracking up, where he just keeps pulling these crazy faces at everyone else <laughs> oh, in the room, being like, I don't know what to do with this guy. And it's clearly because he's in this room with this decrepit old man. Like the oldest man was like, no, it was sex. And like, he's just like covering his mouth and like looking around. And like, oh, I feel like or it, it cuts, I guess, to Truman. And then it cuts back and Doc Hayward's position has changed in the scene so that the guy can make a clean exit. And I'm sure it's because that scene just like went to shit. Because like, man, the way that like his acting is so good. And I think it's because he also was just like, oh, man, what am I looking at right now? I'm, this is amazing. Like, it's his finest moment by far. Oh, man, you got to go back and watch just like that one minute because it's just it's incredible. It's like, oh, man, God. Oh man, I'm excited about this now. Yeah, <laughs> Emmy nominated uh, single scene of right. best background acting <laughs> goes goes to the Doc Hayward. Oh man, um, and then after that is when is when um, the episode gets super gross because we continue from that. Yeah, this was the, I think this scene where Hawk where where uh, like she the the bride the the widow starts is sort of talking about how she's cursed and has been since prom. I think this was the, the like the moment in the episode where I, it went from me like sort of 
being like, is there something weird about this episode? Like, yes. This is a weird <laughs> this episode. This is weird. Because it's immediately Hawk just like, for one thing, like Hawk knows a thing or two about curing curses, let me tell you. Like, that's already. That's when he, fly, he flies through the door. Yeah, and then he's like. That's well, actually he, way he, earlier in the episode than this scene that I'm talking about, but it's all the same arc. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Okay, so uh, Hawk responds to her and he's like, when something really big goes down. I'm the man. And then falls through the door when yeah. like it, just that that whole thing about like I was like my people know a thing or two about curing curses yeah, no, or that, whatever he says. And when then, when Hawk fell through the door is what I wrote the note down saying this episode is nothing but absurd, stupid, one dimensional yeah. characters bonking <laughs> yep. into each other. Yep. It's so strange. It's just, but um and the then, sort of the oh go ahead. Oh I'm just gonna say, and then a later scene of this same thread. Is like, That's the rejoinder to this, right? Is is way at the end when every, when Lucy's alone in the office, right? And everyone is like hypnotized, essentially. Yeah, and Andy's that, like dreamily pouring her milk and stuff. Right. Yeah. 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 That's that's just like the, I think probably the 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 single highest moment of that weird nonsense tone of this episode. Yeah. So th- this thread, I guess, contains both the like confirmation of and the apotheosis of yep. Twin Peaks as just sort of wacky meta sitcom yep oh man weird 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 stuff and just super gross yeah 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 it's just gross it's pretty bad the the only grossness that is the one-ups that scene is josie you're not wearing your oh, hat man <laughs> well okay yeah let's talk about this <clears throat> uh because we already talked about nadine and that's what i had next so Catherine and pete Okay, the thing that was re- – the first really gross thing about this for me was it starts off with Catherine and Pete toasting. And Catherine's like, here's to me. Yeah, here's to me. <laughs> well, so fr- – like and, – and then it becomes really disturbing when the camera just kind of tilts a bit and you realize that Josie's been there, there, there the entire time. Yeah. And Pete is still happy to just kind of like quote Yates and like be schmoozy about it and – I don't know. I didn't think it reflected very well on Pete. No. I mean, he sort of, like, has a moment of, like, maybe you're being a little hard on her, but that's about it. I mean, he's still... Yep. I mean, he goes right back to, like, here's to you, poodle. Like, it's... I That whole scene was very uncomfortable. Yep. Uh, I, I, I feel like, especially since Pete claims he doesn't even believe in Josie's full culpability for the things that Catherine is accusing her of, it's even more reprehensible. Yep. That he kind of just shrugs his objections yeah, aside. It's un- and I think it's worth talking about the way that it's uncomfortable because Twin Peaks, in the past, has had storylines and especially especially potent scenes where women are subjugated or mistreated, um, or in, in like roles of of complete subjugation, and it is intended to be just absolutely horrifying and like just make your skin crawl. Whereas with this. It feels like maybe lip service is being paid to that, but it's mostly a weird Catherine Pete like power fantasy. Like yeah, you should absolutely. feel, yeah. you, you maybe you shouldn't feel a hundred percent aligned with Catherine, but you you're also like, well, you know, like you're. Yeah, you, it's, it's not Josie's perspective, for right? Sure, yes. Like, Josie, whereas, like the, the, Josie is marginalized not just in the plot, which is like okay, that's one thing. She's also marginalized from the perspective of the show. Which is really yeah, that's what makes it gross. Because like there there were occasional <clears throat> scenes with some of the women in One Eyed Jacks that were just like holy fuck, like just terrifying. Or like the way that Leland Palmer 
praise on Maddie right at the end. There are, there are places here and there in the show where you're just like, wow, wow, yes, wow, wow, but, wow, wow. But what the show's doing in those cases usually is making the, the sort of uh, situations of those women front and center in your mind. Yes. Whereas this is treating Josie as a total sideshow. Yep. Like, yeah. The fact that, again, it's just a given. It's not, it's not addressed. Right. Yeah, she's present for that entire opening sequence where. Um, Pete and Catherine are going back and forth, and you right, don't even so, know. And here is our servant Josie. Anyway, here she is. <laughs> yeah, like, it's so man. Oh, it's it's <laughs> it's all around bad. I will say. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's all I got about that. Yeah, Sam. Man, did we talk about James? We have not talked about James. Do we? we? Kinda, I mean, we. I feel like I've said enough incidentally about it that I don't have that much else it didn't to say. Move in a direction that was notable enough no, to really spend a lot of time talking no, about it really didn't i don't have that much to say about it at all do you want to just move on yeah so there's uh the last thing i have is is briggs which is what wraps up the episode yep um well i mean there's there are there are briggs related moments throughout the episode there's the like, air force well, guy yeah. who's there man okay we got to talk about that for half a second because was it just <coughs> last week when they were interviewing um and mrs briggs whose name i can't remember right uh and she was like I'll give you all his notes. And then they're like, do you know about the Black Lodge? That's classified. That happened again! It's true. Where, the, where the Air Force guy was like, he's the best pilot we've got. Him disappearing is very important and notable. Would also, you- these secret messages were intercepted from these woods. From the like, woods, just- not from space. Oh, would they be related to the White Lodge? That's, uh, that's classified. classified. Like, give me a break. Are you yep. kidding me? Yep. What does that even mean? It means nothing. Yep. Oh, infuriating. Also hilarious. Also Separately, I am very glad that they acknowledge that it's not from space. Yeah, I know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, that whole thing. Man. So the words, the White Lodge are classified, I mm-hmm. guess. But everything else isn't just because. Yep. <laughs> bad mystery building. Like, yep. Really bad. My note on this was Riley refuses to address the White Lodge, colon, that's classified, dash, fart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so it's... Your fart noise was apt. When Myrtle keeps making these chess moves, people keep just saying the words that's classified. Just what are you doing? <laughs> yep. What are you doing? Yep. Ah. So that stuff was all kind of stupid and pointless. I did like all the stuff at home at the Briggs household when Bobby gets home and Mrs. Briggs is sitting up just nervously. Yeah, awake. Bobby thinks that she's like it felt like a mom waiting for a teenager. Yeah. But then, of course, she's actually waiting for her husband to come home. Right. And I, I liked the little interaction they had where Bobby tells her about the dream. About the dream, but he can't – Bobby kind of does, he does, doesn't do justice to that dream. No, but, but, but you can tell that his mom knows her husband well enough to understand the kind of thing yep. that he's talking about. She can I, also feel the impact that it had on Bobby in a way that, right. that was really good. Also – the actor who plays Bobby Briggs seems to apparently come alive when he doesn't have to display a sniveling one-note idiot I know, team, I know. Because yes, he does true. a really good job in this scene, yeah, I thought, I, actually. I, I totally agree. Yep. And then Major Garland Briggs comes back wearing like an old-timey, old-timey aviator, aviator outfit. Aviator stuff. Yep. I like that he had a stubbly beard, though. That I was, know, I like that, too. That was, yes, it was a nice uh, counterpoint to his normal appearance. Yeah. Uh, I guess it maybe both. just want him to grow a huge beard for the rest of the show. <laughs> that would be crazy. He'll probably be clean shaven and in a I like uniform that he, I like that he asks him. Bobby to put out his cigarette and also to get him a cocktail. Yep. <laughs> yeah, no, that scene, that like tiny moment <laughs> of Bobby coming home all the way through Major Briggs coming back, other than the sort of pointless affect of him wearing an old-timey aviator's uniform, had a lot of like good yeah, Twin Peaks in it. 
it, it made me reflect on the char- on character of Major Briggs generally. I like this character so much. He's such a good – someone on the forums pointed out, and I can't remember who, that he's an interesting character in that he really plays against the kind of typical um, film and television portrayal of military like flat officers. To- like flat top dad, basically? Yeah, or? especially on, in American film and television. Yeah. Um, of kind of uh, macho attitudes and and yeah. uh, uh, there's something that is really it really made me think about Briggs as the sort of military equivalent of Cooper. Although I think I like the Briggs version of it more than the Cooper version of it because it seems more rooted in an actual considered ethos. Whereas well, Cooper's almost a superhero as a right. character. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just like Briggs a lot. I really like that character. I think he's really interesting. Um, and I'm glad he came back. Yep. Same. Uh, also, this episode, so after he, you Are know. Are you going to talk about Laura's face? I am going to talk about that. Man, because it's actually been a minute, but. Yeah. Well, so first, well, before, <laughs> okay. real quick before that, there's there's the, the final ending shot of crazy storm clouds. Oh, just like weird, like 80s special effects. Time lapse, I guess. Storm clouds. Like, it looks like they look like from Ghostbusters or something yeah, to me. Yeah, That was a crazy shot. Uh, but then, yes, the fact that, that after this of all episodes... Yeah, get ready for that to be for, at the end of like every episode for the rest of the show. It just, yeah, it cuts to Laura Palmer's photograph. Yeah. And it made me, like, have the most recent several episodes also ended with that? I assume they have. Last week's hat, I think, um, I couldn't remember if Dana said that it was the, the Horn family film. Was that last week or was that? Oh, maybe it was. Man, speaking of that, sorry that we missed last week, by the way. We had a crazy, crazy oh, week yeah. last week. Um, thank you guys for being patient and uh, putting up with us, making you wait a week before watching another episode of Twin Peaks. And then listening to 40 minutes of this podcast before we address the fact yeah. that we're gone because we totally forgot. Um, I was so bowled over by the weirdness of this episode that I completely just jumped in at the I beginning know, of this I podcast. Um, but yeah, Laura Palmer's face showed up and like the, the classic closing credits theme played and it was like, yep. wow, that's the same show. Yep. Wow, it's Twin Peaks. <laughs> know, it's so weird. Weird. Man. <clears throat> yeah, thinking about this episode, I know that we keep talking about it mostly because I keep bringing it up at the end of episodes. But thinking about this episode and then thinking about Firewalk with me and thinking of those being the same thing <laughs> is insane. <laughs> it's true. Also, I think Peyton co-wrote Firewalk with me with, with David Lynch uh, in the screenwriting credits. Oh, okay. I believe that's the case. Could the be. writer of this episode co-wrote Firewalk with me. Yep, the most sort of probably the single <laughs> most intense evocation of any Twin Peaks material. Maybe, yeah. maybe not quite, but up there. Yeah. yeah, from the co-writer of Sex Killed Him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you got anything else? Or are we wrapping it up here? Imagine if Dr. Jacoby had also been in this episode. Yeah, I know. When I, when you were talking about Dick Tremaine being the sort of most aesthetically insane person on the show, I was then just imagining that, like, I was further taking out the sort of weird spinoff of Twin Peaks that this represents and imagining both Dick Tremaine and Dr. Jacoby. Yeah, the world where those two old guys, Dick Tremaine, Dr. Jacoby, and aviator suit uh, <laughs> Major Briggs are the opening credit sequence? <laughs> you know what's the weirdest thing about that? Is that out of all those characters, Dr. Jacoby is actually the most authentically Twin Peaks. Yes. Like, of, of those three, like, of uh, what other time could you ever say that about Dr. Jacoby? <laughs> I know. <laughs> He belongs the most. Yep. Oh, totally random aside before we wrap this up because I don't know if we're going to do spoilers. So uh, remember last week 
opened with the with those really striking shots of James on his motorcycle. Yes. Apparently, David Lynch shot those for the pilot, and they were never used. Oh, crazy. So that is David Lynch footage, oh, and that man. is why it feels like it pops out from a completely yeah. different world. <laughs> and that's also why it's so expensive. Why it would be like, why would they have a mobile tracking shot for right. like two yeah. minutes? Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Huh. That's good to know. Yeah. So thanks, David Lynch, for co-directing last week's episode. <laughs> he just loves that James Hurley Guest director, plot. David Lynch. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't think I have any spoiler stuff because this episode, what is there to say about anything on this episode? Other than the, what we said 400 times about how weird it is. Yeah. Spoilers. <laughs> so it was weird. a weird one. So weird. Yeah. Um, do you want to read some reader mail? Some listener mail? Sure. Uh, okay. So Dave Bowling writes... Um, hey Wait, guys, what's this episode was so weird. Oh no, that's not what it <laughs> it's essay podcast thread alum zombies downfall. So he says, while I agree that the writers of the show probably had no idea who or what they wanted Denise Bryson to be other than another weird wacky character in twin peaks, it's worth noting that there's nothing unrealistic or abnormal about someone uncertain about their gender identity or place in the gender bending label hierarchy as a sociology professor and a person who lives in this hierarchy myself. I'm as often frustrated by well-meaning trans people and trans advocates rigid construction of it as I am by people who don't know the difference between a cross-dresser and a trans person. The reality is that for a large number of trans people, probably the majority, although I can't offer statistics, the process of discovering who you are and negotiating a comfortable balance between your gender identity, aesthetic preferences, sexuality, and ability to fill other roles like parent and spouse is confusing, difficult, and lifelong. It's, pl- it's plausible and reasonable that Denise Bryson herself doesn't know whether she's a trans woman, a cross-dressing man, or something else, and I think that it makes the character more plausible and sympathetic rather than less. What matters to me is that the writers, Agent Cooper, and Duchovny himself treat the character with as much respect and dis- dignity uh, as is recorded to anyone on Twin Peaks. Thanks for the great podcast. I await your thoughts on the ending and fire a walk with me with great interest. Yeah, I think that's a really good email. Yep, I think that's true. I do think that Denise is played for cheap gags. In in like the in the wings of the show more often than is right. probably than probably should. Yeah. But generally, it's still surprising how well that character is portrayed yep. on the show. I agree. I agree on both counts. Um. So let's see. Michael Strait writes: When you guys were joking about the possible reasons Piper Laurie was credited separately as Tojimura, you missed what I think is the best and worst possibility. That that would be if there were a real Tojimura who Catherine was impersonating who would show up later, probably as part of the Josie storyline, which really needed some weird humor. The show didn't go that route. While we sadly will never get to see Jack Nance flirting with a confused elderly Asian gentleman played by Piper Laurie in terrible makeup, uh, it's not too late for Lynch to give us Ben Horn chopping a cigar and waggling his eyebrows saying, well played, Catherine, to the wrong person. Will you sign my Tojimura in 2016 online petition? (laughs) Thanks for the cast. I never would have watched Twin Peaks without it, and I enjoyed it a lot, except for Firewalk with me. I had to fast forward through much of the movie because it was too unpleasant to watch. You might want to give the readers a little more warning about that when you get to it. You guys are always a pleasure. Michael, a.k.a. Earthman. Man, what if the principal arc of Twin Peaks 2016 is the real Tajamora shows up and double crosses Catherine? <laughs> also played by Piper Laurie. Also played by Piper Laurie, but just in better makeup. Right. God, you'd need a shot of real Tajimura as played by Piper Murray playing a, a Piper Laurie. Like split screen? Played against, yes. <laughs> against Catherine? Fake Catherine Tajimura. Oh man, what? Killer Catherine's wearing the bad Tajimura right. makeup, but then real Tajimura, which is also, yeah, which is just right. like Stan Winston studio, <laughs> like top shelf <laughs> makeup job, like Benjamin Button. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where ben, they do like ben, a mirror gag with each other. Presumably, like, <laughs> like that would occur when like when Ben Horn is supplicating himself 
to the fake Tajimura and then is then tapped <laughs> on the shoulder or something by the real Tajimura. Right. Uh. <laughs> or Ben Horn has discovered the real Tajimura. Right. When he tried to cash that check, the real Tajimura contacted Ben Horn and they concocted a 25 oh, year yeah. play <laughs> against Catherine to get the mill back. That's true. Yeah. And then they set up a sting operation where. Where they somehow convinced Catherine to dress up as bad right, Tajimura exactly. again, even though she's exactly. already revealed that that is a fictional character to Ben Horn. Or <laughs> Ben's like, Catherine, the only way to get that check to clear from 25 years ago <laughs> is for you to become Tajimura again. Anyway, me and other Tajimura are going to set you on fire in the mill again. <laughs> Meanwhile, oh, Shelly Johnson who, in fact, owns the mill now in Twin Peaks 2016, uh, right. rescues Catherine in a twist. <laughs> oh, man. After the weird medical, some sort of medical lawsuits against the way that Leo's case went down, yeah. Shelley's rich in 2016. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> After the Double R Diner has become like a national chain. Right, of course. Yeah, these are all the things that ha- that happen when old shows and films are rebooted. Yeah, everyone's got everyone has the cool version of their old thing. Yeah, Norma's like double R diner recipe book went went huge, and now you know, yep, there's one in every city. Mm-hmm. Now Nadine is the captain of the wrestling team. <laughs> Nadine's the coach. That's true. Coach, coach Nadine. <laughs> and now her mentality is just of like a normal like forty year old person but she's who is super <laughs> ancient. <laughs> she's she's yeah, man. She's basically just uh, Tilda Swinton in Grand Budapest Hotel, but it's right. Nadine exactly. with a super strength, exactly. thinking she's a middle-aged woman. Exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm going to call this. What? We're saying goodnight. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Oh, one thing. We talked about this for half a second, but we've we've kind of been wondering what <laughs> the aesthetic of Twin Peaks 2016 is going to be. And I did read a thing since we last recorded saying that despite David Lynch's crazy fascination with really hideous-looking DV uh, Twin Peaks is apparently going to be shot on 35mm. Oh, yeah, that's good. Which is, like, I'm so curious as to how it's going to look, but hearing that, like, that could still go a million different ways, but I feel like David Lynch shooting on film is David Lynch at his best. Yeah, I totally, I completely agree. Yeah. Yes, I'm excited. Because he spent, like, years saying, I hate film now, I love the, the variety of DVD I love the crappy hand But, like, recently the quote order. from David Lynch is, I'm falling back in love with film again, what's happening to me? Like, that's, like, <laughs> okay, so... Good. Well, that's fine. Yeah, just as in long time. as it lasts for a year. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, thanks for listening to Twin Peaks Rewatch. As always, if you enjoyed whatever this show is becoming, please uh, recommend it to a friend or, or give us a rating on iTunes. Um, we uh, can be found on Twitter at Peaks Rewatch, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Twin Peaks Rewatch. Uh, you can send us email at Twin Peaks at idlethumbs.net. And we may very well read it and address it on the show. Our website is TwinPeaksRewatch.com. And now for the spoiler section. Leland Palmer killed Laura Palmer. (laughs) All right. See you guys next week. (laughs)